Hey friends, welcome back to our unconventional homesteading season here on the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So far, we've talked to people in all different stages of life. We've talked about living in different locations, harsh ones, tropical ones. But today we're taking the angle of how to homestead when maybe your health isn't exactly what you had planned it would be. I know many of you have messaged me over the years telling me that maybe you deal with chronic pain or you deal with some sort of illness or maybe a family member does, and you're trying to figure out if homesteading is feasible for you in that situation. And I have some very special guests today who I think will provide a lot of encouragement around that topic. So I'd like to welcome Kevin Mack and Julie Stonefelt from Wild Homestead Living to the podcast. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello, Jill. Thanks so much for having us. I have to tell you that in 2016, when we decided to really go for our homestead dream, I started to feel a little scared. And my first response to that is research. And you were the first person I found online that made us feel like maybe as brand new homesteaders, we weren't as crazy as people thought we were. So it's delightful to be able to catch up with you now and connect. That is awesome. And I'm so honored that I was able to play a little part. And look at you now. You guys are incredible. I was looking at your website before we jumped on. You've taken it so far. And so what an inspiration. Way to go. Thank you. So, I mean, I feel like you guys have a lot you could share. But really, what I'd like to hone in on today is how you guys have kind of overcome odds to create your homestead and this life that you had dreamed of starting in 2016. Was that kind of when it all kicked off? Yeah, so we actually um, got together 20 years ago, and we've been married for 14 years now? 16. Uh, 16. I'm really bad at math. (laughs) Um, But it was really when Kevin first started having some health issues that we started to get more serious about healthy living. And then it was um, after my health issues that we decided to go for our homestead dream. But maybe, Kevin, you could talk about yours at first. Yeah, so I, uh, in... 2010, I was diagnosed with uh, diabetes. At first, they mm-hmm. thought it was type 2. It turned out to be type 1, uh, which is an autoimmune-related disease. Um, it kind of, it really shook up our world. <laughs> it's, I, uh, I didn't have any of the risk factors, didn't have any family history. And um, when it hit, it was, it was pretty hard, <laughs> pretty hard news. Yeah. But um we we started taking a, a much closer look at what, how we were living and especially what we were putting in our bodies because diabetes is, uh, you know, a disease where I don't produce enough insulin. What I eat has a big impact on the quality of my life because <laughs> yes. of the blood sugar levels that, you know, result from the diet. So <clears throat> we, uh, Julie had been growing some of our own food and making some of our own food prior to that, but we... I think that really caused us to reevaluate everything and uh, to start looking at taking more control of our own food production. So it kind of, that, that was like, we were living in a rental unit at the time and uh, we had a small garden out back. We moved to a new place where the landlord let us tear up the entire front yard and make a, and, Yes, it was amazing. So we had an urban garden. We became known as the people with uh, corn growing in our front yard. <laughs> and uh, Love it. Kind of <laughs> fed ourselves from from that as well as the neighborhood. We'd put out extra and people coming by would pick that up. Um, but we, we always kind of dreamed of having 
a larger place, a larger uh, capacity to, to grow our own food and everything, but it always felt out of reach. Um, and then in uh, after Julie's diagnosis, if you want to talk a little about that and that process. Yeah, so we spent several years um, really transforming our daily habits and getting really healthy and um, lost a lot of weight, we're really fit. And then in 2015, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and actually two different types of cancer in my left breast. And it was a complete shock. It was just one night changing my clothes for bed, I found a lump. And I was 35 at the time, no family history. And it, it really just was a fork in the road that we had not planned. And we focused for about six months really intensely on um, on the cancer journey and whether or not I was going to survive. And after um, my diagnosis and I had to have my left breast removed and I ended up having a silicone implant placed, I came to the, the end, what they called the end of my treatment. And um, I was left with chronic pain mm. and I was diagnosed nearly 30 years below the national average, and I was I was left with a, a lot of physical issues, a lot of stress, and nobody really knew how to handle any of that. They sort of just told me like, well, this is the best that you can hope for. And that was really hard for me to sort of come to terms with. And at the same time, I felt like we'd been given a second chance. And because I was also told that there's, there's no way to know what caused my cancer and what we can do to prevent it recurring. We sort of realized that it was time to stop speculating on our dreams and start living them with whatever time mm-hmm. I have left on this earth. And my dream has always been to homestead. And so we decided to go for it. Yeah. And that was in early 2016, we made the decision. Uh, it took us a couple of years to save up and be ready for the down payment for where we are. And in 2018, we moved to our homestead. Now, between my diagnosis and actually just six months ago, I've had seven surgeries, including the original biopsy, and really struggled with chronic pain um, through that. I'm hoping that the surgery I had six months ago will will really be the end of that. This this season is going to be when we find out. Um, you know, last last weekend we did our our full on spring planting. Summer crops went in, and I really tested it, and things are going good. But um, it's definitely been a long journey. I, yeah, that's a very long journey. With a, I'm sure that the roller coaster has been unimaginable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a lot stands out to me as you were talking. One of the biggest things, though, is like what an inspiration, the fact that you guys had every excuse not to chase the homestead dream. Like, I mean, anyone else would have just been like, you know what, that is back burner, not important. Like, we're just not going to do it. We can't do it. I can't. We can't. But you guys pushed through. And I think that's extremely admirable, just that you you chose to take the bull by the horns and just make it happen. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. For us with both of our health issues and really our approach to life is always that we don't always get to choose what happens to us. You know, Kevin didn't choose autoimmune issues. I didn't choose cancer, but we do get to choose how we respond to them. Amen. And so every step of the way that is our approach and, and that's the approach we took to going for our homestead dream. Yes. 
that translates well over to that for sure. So what does your day-to-day -day look like now? I mean, it's, you've, it's been a while since both of your diagnosis and you've had all these surgeries and, and all the ups and downs. Do you still deal with the aftermath of that on a daily basis or is that mostly under control? What does that look like? Uh, well, for me, you know, diabetes is something I'll be dealing with for the rest of my life. Um, yes. I, I, have, I have tools to help me manage my blood sugar. Um, I have an insulin pump attached to me, as well as a electronic uh, continuous glucose monitor that checks my blood sugar every five minutes. Um, it's, it's amazing how much of my day is taken up now, just looking at numbers and trying to bump them one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. um, it was really overwhelming at first. The I'm fortunate to have health insurance that allowed me to get these extra tools because it has made a big difference. But um, it's, it's kind of ever-present. Uh, in addition to the, the effects on my blood sugar, the autoimmune issues also do cause uh, like transient pain in my joints and okay. in my muscles. And there's other things that I deal with, but the blood sugar is the main constant factor. Um, but the, like our homesteading activities actually overall help with uh, the management of the disease. Um, there's a lot of physical activity in homesteading and the best thing for high blood sugar is to get out and move. So, um, often just day-to-day -day chores can help me, you know, manage if I have a, if I'm having a high day, um, if I'm having a day where I'm tending low, I have to think ahead a little bit. And, um, usually it just means I get to eat a little bit more, <laughs> which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but, uh, it's, it's sort of a, a constant balancing act. And, and I just need to, I just need to be a little more conscious of how much energy I'm putting into my body, how much I'm putting out at any given time. Um, cause it doesn't work quite the same as somebody who has a normally functioning pancreas. <laughs> um, sure. as far as the, the pain that comes along with, uh, the condition, um, it, it sometimes means that I'm going to have to take some breaks and not get as much done as I had hoped. Uh, and I have to be sort of, I have to learn to be kind to myself in those moments because it's easy to get frustrated and like feel like it's a weakness and, and sort of get negative thoughts. But um, sort of <laughs> the upside is if I take a break, I get to look around and just notice the environment around me, the wildlife that we live here with. It's kind of the, the wild part of wild homestead living is we, mm. um, we really enjoy our wild neighbors as well. So, so sometimes just that taking a break, taking a quiet moment, walking our path in the woods or just sitting on the porch and seeing what's out there. Um, it can actually, you know, it seems like a negative, like a limitation, but it's actually calming and it's more positive if, if I just change my attitude about it a little bit. Yeah. I think we could all do better at that. I know I, Sometimes I get so caught up in the projects that I, when I even, I finish a project, I don't even acknowledge to myself, I finished it. I just am like going to the next one. And it, sometimes you just have to sit back and go, look at, we've made good progress. Like, let's enjoy it. So I love yes. that you're recognizing that and using that for that. Yeah. And, and for me, fortunately, I'm, I'm hoping that my issues will um, have an end and, and be able to build my strength again. But after seven years of chronic pain and surgeries, I'm much, much weaker than I was when I started. And so I, 
I, for our first several years, you know, had just really severe pain that would limit me. And now I have less pain, but I have a lot of weakness. And so I find that I, and I'm sure many other homesteaders listening experiences are very ambitious, have big plans and goals. And um, even when I was at the peak of my health, I always, you know, wanted to do more than was realistic. Now it's very true. So um, the homesteading can sometimes be frustrating and having those limits and trying to listen to my body. And I've definitely had enough times where I was like, I'm not going to listen to the fact that I'm getting tired. I, I still want to get all those squash in the ground and had that backfire. And so, you know, we're learning to slow down a little bit um, and in, enjoy those moments where we can pause and look around. We also bought a couple of rocking chairs for our front porch, um, which, you know, I always thought of that, like when we get to our golden years, we'll get rocking chairs, but yeah. We're in our middle age and we got them. And sometimes when I'm frustrated that we have to slow down, we'll just sit there. And sometimes those can be the sweetest moments of our day when we do, like you said, get to pause and reflect on all we have accomplished. Talk about how grateful we are for what we do have and and dream about the next thing. I like that. I I love that. So kind of paint a picture for the, the listeners and the viewers. Like what does your homestead entail? Are you doing... Do you have cows? Do you have goats? Do you have, do you have a garden? Kind of paint the picture for us. Yeah. So we are on about 1.3 acres in the Snoqualmie Valley of Washington State. It is about an hour east of Seattle in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains. So it's very, very green and lush. It's lots of trees. It's also one of the most expensive housing markets in the country. The median housing price here, I just looked it up, is $880,000 oh, wow. on wow. average. So this is as much as we were able to afford. And fortunately, there's a there's a giant septic mound in the middle of our open space, which nobody wanted to buy and yep. deal with. So <laughs> our, our homestead is not ideal. Um, right. And what's funny is, you know, we thought that when we first came into this, we had a very limiting belief that you could only be a real homesteader if you owned rural land and were, you know, growing most of your own food. And when we got here and we started, we realized we'd been homesteading all along, even when we, you know, were in the city. And all of that stuff that we learned really helped us hit the ground running here. But it has been slow because of our health, both in the energy we can put out and the finances, because we've had to spend a lot on our medical bills. So right now we have um, one um, garden. It is um, stock tanks, it's raised beds. Nice. And um, then we have a small patio garden. That's another kind of container garden. We have dreams of a really big chicken coop and run, more gardens, orchard, uh, possibly goats. Um, we j- oh, and we just put it in an apothecary garden, but that's about it right now. Kevin, can you think of any other um, ways to describe our homestead? Yeah, we have our worm farm or our worm bin that we've oh, nice. been supplying folks around the area <laughs> with starts on their own worm bins. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we are right now, mainly what we're doing is growing our own food, but we, we have had some setbacks that have slowed down, like Julie's saying, some of the other aspirations like goats and chickens. Very Um, understandable. Yeah. And we, we try to take things uh, slow. We try not to, like, we don't want to get in over our heads financially on anything. 
Um, we try to save up so we can purchase things outright as much as possible uh, instead of going into debt. Um, just uh, practicing your personal personal responsibility in all things. Yes. So yeah, I love that so much. You probably heard me rant and rave about that before I will refrain, but that's one of my favorite <laughs> topics. <laughs> so um, yes. even when it and- makes you go slower, it's so important. Right. And I feel like it's so important and it's not the fun, exciting Instagram worthy parts of homesteading, but to us, it's absolutely essential to this way of life and the peace and calm and security. Um, We do, I realized that we were talking about all the outside things, but we do um, cook almost a hundred percent of our own food. I can. Mm. And even though we're not able to grow everything ourselves here, we, int- we intentionally moved this area because we're surrounded by farms and other homesteaders and we um, can buy and trade and barter for other things. So as much as I wish that I had my own chickens at this point, um, we've traded worms from our worm farm for eggs yes. and um, I do a lot of sewing. So sometimes we mend and exchange for, you know, like wild fish and game. Yeah. Um, and in this way, we're using our gifts and helping other people support their gifts for Um, like community sufficiency. Hey friends, I'm going to interrupt this episode for just a sec to answer a question that a lot of you have been asking me lately. And that is, do I still love my Harvest Guard reusable canning lids? So last year I did a video about these lids and it kind of went viral and we ended up creating a backlog of orders for the Harvest Guard company. So it was kind of crazy, but as a result, a lot of you watched that video and were curious to know if I still like these lids all these months later. And my answer is yes, I absolutely do. Uh, I love that I can buy them once. I don't have to rebuy them constantly, which right now in this world of crazy, unforeseen shortages of materials, that's a huge bonus. Also, the sustainable part of me just really likes the fact that something isn't going into the garbage every single time I open a jar of home canned food. I will say my one caveat with these lids is that they do have a little bit of a learning curve. So I would recommend that you can your first batch with water. And if you want to see the whole process of how they work, because they're a little bit different than your typical metal lids, I'm going to drop a link to that video where I showed you how to use them down in the show notes of this video. But if you want to try them for canning season this year, you can do so over at theprairiehomestead.com slash canning lids. And if you use code homestead, you'll save 15% on your order. Now back to our episode. I think that's a really under highlighted part of the homesteading lifestyle is that bartering. And I mean, I mean, I've even been guilty of it. We're so hung up on self-sufficiency or even just the term self-sufficiency. And it's really not. I mean, if you look at the, the old time homesteaders or any community like the Amish, you know, they're, they're leaning on each other. And so it's a little bit of a misnomer to think if I'm, I have to be a homesteader and I have to only grow and produce everything all by myself. So there's absolutely no shame. I think it's even healthier to be reaching out into your community like that and, and bartering and trading and, and pulling on those resources. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, one of those, um, like the silver lining or the unexpected gifts from the challenges that we face that we might not have chosen that path otherwise. And we've met some wonderful people mm-hmm. in our community this way. Yeah, I was going to say that's uh, the other aspect of it is you meet so many folks that you can learn a lot from. Um, like it's not just the exchange of what you're producing, but the way that it's done, you can learn just so much from seeing other people, the way they're doing it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like last weekend, we um, found out that there's a small startup herb farm in, in our area. And so we went out and met with her and we bought some plants and she gave us a tour of her farm. And then we're just learning how to grow medicinal herbs. And so she's been just a great resource and been so generous and willing to, to help us learn there. That is awesome. Yes. Those are so valuable, those connections, the local ones, especially. Yeah. So you, you said something when you were, we're talking a, a few minutes ago that when you were in the city, the, the things you were doing there gave you the ability to hit the ground running when you got the home set. And that's something that I have talked about for, with folks so often when they email me and they're like, I want to move, but I can't right now. So can you give us a little more insight? What kind of skills and habits were you cultivating back during your city um, period of your life? You want me to take that one? Yeah. Okay. So um, like, like I said, we've been together for 20 years, really long time for, for younger homesteaders. They might not realize that when we started, the internet wasn't really much of a thing. And so uh, my first garden, I bought seed packets at the grocery store and I stuck them in the ground. Very little grew. They looked nothing like the seed packets. I thought I was a failure. It's very frustrating. I had you know, no one around me to talk to. I eventually found out there was a nursery, like a garden nursery um, nearby. And I went there and they had photocopied pages nice. that um, I could pick up. And then I could just talk to the people who worked there. So I just regularly go and talk to people. Um, and then slowly, you know, over a, a series of years, I got a little bit better and a little bit better. And then when we moved to the house that Kevin mentioned, um, it was in West Seattle, which is really close to Puget Sound, which is a huge inland saltwater body. Um, We had a big yard. Our landlord was from Iceland, um, from Europe. And there's a very, I think that helped him to have a very different view Mm. of the world and being self-sufficient, growing your own food. And he was more than willing to let me dig up the entire front yard. And, um, and then And then we started growing our own food and it's a slightly different zone. So we're garden zone 8B where we are here. Mm -hmm. Um, There it was probably garden zone like 8A, a little bit different. Um, But I was able to kind of put the theory and practice into play. And there's such a difference between learning about something, watching YouTube videos and trying it yourself in your own place. And so those years of practice and gardening really helped. Uh, It was in the city. So we were on a city block and um, we had lots of people who would walk right by me on the sidewalk and were always more than willing to share their opinions and thoughts about what I was doing, which (laughs) (laughs) I didn't always love, but, you know, it helped me get a different perspective. Um, And then even when it was, you know, a lot of work or it got hard. We had neighbor kids who knew they could run into our yard and eat food. And there was such like a joy and a positive feeling that came from seeing that kind of community connection. So practicing the gardening was something we did a lot. Um, I also loved cooking. Um, I grew up cooking with my grandmother. Uh, We had an off-grid cabin. They didn't call it off-grid back then, but it was a little tiny cabin where she taught me how to cook on an old-fashioned wood stove. And I'd kind of put aside those skills uh, when we start focusing on our careers. But when Kevin got sick, I was able to bring those back out and sort of refresh them and start to build up those skills. We also were very poor at the time. We were working in a nonprofit organization. It was a wildlife hospital. That's where we met. 
caring for injured and orphaned wild animals. And so I would make wish lists of all the tools I wanted. And like, I would save up, like I remember saving up for my Dutch oven and finally being able to buy it and how exciting that was. And then I didn't know anybody who cooked with a Dutch oven. So then that was like its own trial and error. (laughs) So it was definitely this, you know, slow building of our skills and our tools um, so that when we got here, we were able to hit the ground running. Oh, maybe Kevin can talk about like living with wildlife and the challenges there too that helped us when we got here. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, we both, I mean, we both come from wildlife backgrounds. We have uh, biology degrees. We worked with wildlife um, for decades. Like I worked for 19 years with injured and orphan wildlife. And a lot of my work was uh, involved people with conflicts with wildlife. Um, So that's one thing that was, we, we both are wildlife fans and we didn't want to move to the country and set up a system where we were going to immediately come into conflict with all of our wild neighbors. So, uh, when that's one of the reasons that we're going slower on some of our projects, cause there's a higher cost involved with building something that's wildlife proof usually, <laughs> yes. um, versus just throwing, throwing something up. So our main garden, uh, we have a lot of deer in our area that would really love to help themselves to our garden. <laughs> and yes. um, rather than, we we looked at it kind of from their perspective, like what would what would they avoid? Um, rather than putting up like a eight foot deer fence, we chose to put up about a six foot two rail vinyl fence and then container uh, raised bed, basically their water troughs used made into raised beds inside of that with narrow enough walkways that any deer would, you know, feel pretty vulnerable if it was thinking about jumping in there. There's nothing to land on. And once they're in there, it's very like enclosed. Mm. Um, The garden's been up and running two solid years, two and a half years now. Lots of greens in there, lots of deer walking right by and looking in, but not braving the jump over the fence. we also knew we have a lot of rabbits here. So the lower portion is uh, chicken wire buried. Um, lowest rail is high enough that rabbits won't jump in. Um, we did have one that showed us that we had a weakness in the fence. <laughs> in the gate, of course. That, yeah, um, that Julie found in there one time. He couldn't, he didn't jump into the raised beds. But he I was, was just going to say, is he getting into the stock tank? Because if he is, that's a determined rabbit. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fortunately not. No, okay. yeah, he got in and then he couldn't figure out how to get out. So we had to help him out. But um, the around the stock tanks also, we have gravel, which is meant to deter slugs because they, uh. they don't like to slide across loose gravel very much. And then copper tape around the top of the tanks as a backup in case the slugs do make it in. Um, all of these things were like we thought about ahead of time and built it into the design of the garden. Uh, rather than quickly putting in a garden when we first moved in and then addressing problems as they came, we tried to anticipate problems, plan for them, and then design the garden to meet that. And so far, successful. Um, I was just saying, we've had a couple bears show up on our trail cams in the last week, and uh, I was just wondering if, (laughs) if any of them decided that they wanted some of the greens in the garden 
it might be a little bit less of a deterrent yeah. to them than the deer, <laughs> that vinyl fence. But Well, that yeah, will be so interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hope that's not a problem that we have to solve. Yeah, there's yeah. enough other enticing wild food on the property for them that I'm hoping that they'll not need to look at the garden. But yeah, that is one bridge we'll have to cross so we, if we come to it. <laughs> sure, sure. So I like the thought process, though, that you put into it. I never thought about the copper to tape. I have slugs too. All of a sudden, I think they came in because I, I didn't put gravel in my walkways because I did not know that. And so I put uh, bark in the walkways and somebody else was saying, oh, I got this bark from the same facility and it has slugs in it. And I was like, that's where my slugs came from because they no. just appeared. <laughs> like I never had slugs. And then two years ago, I have slugs everywhere. So sorry, oh, rabbit trail. But I'm that, so that, sorry. Know, slugs, light bulb moment. They are the worst. They are the worst. And you know, like all of the things that Kevin mentioned that we've been doing have really had been so effective at preventing slugs that I actually got to the point where I sort of forgot about them. And we started Mm. growing potatoes in bags on our patio last year. And I looked out one evening and I forgot to put copper tape on those. Mm. And like the entire plant was nearly consumed and just coated with slugs. Mm -hmm. And so we did not have potatoes. Well, actually for that reason. And then we accidentally poisoned our garden last year, which is probably another whole rabbit hole I could go down because we couldn't figure out what was happening until I started researching online. And I saw you holding these stunted little tomato plants that looked exactly yeah. like ours. And then that's been an odyssey of its own. Was it amino pyrrolids? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're not alone for sure. It's a whole thing, <laughs> as you know, from going down the Google rabbit hole. It's yeah. Mm. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could do a whole nother episode on that though, for sure. <laughs> but I want to, I want to stay on track here because I had a couple other questions. Um, when we were talking about challenges with wildlife, what were some of the biggest challenges you, you guys have faced as far as with the illness or maybe the pain that, how has that kind of translated into your chores and how have you overcome some of those pieces? I know you talked about just taking more breaks or taking it slower, but is there any little strategies or tricks you've figured out along the way? I've got a few that I'd love to share. Do you want to share yours? Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, like some of the, some of the regular chores that are kind of larger in scope, um, something as simple as mowing the lawn. Like we, we have, like Julie said, about an acre and a third and probably about, I don't know, maybe half to three quarters of that when we moved in were grass lawn. Mm. Um, we're letting, we're trying to let a lot of the wild plants take back over. But in the meantime, I'm, you know, keeping it mowed to keep down invasive plants and weeds and things. And, um, I don't want to buy a riding lawnmower. I prefer just to do it by hand and we're not going to have lawn long-term anyway. So, uh, for that task, some days I just have to sort of break it up in sections and like if do it over a weekend instead of over a single day. Uh, just depending on what my current uh, energy level allows or blood sugar level. Um, And I think chores in general, we just have to have a little bit of flexibility on the timeline. Um, If if it's a bigger job, we usually, (laughs) in the past, we would have just dove in and busted it out as quickly as possible. You have very, very few breaks and just get it done and move on. Um, Now going in, we have to sort of plan to do it in stages more. And, um, you know, if, if we, if the pain gets too much, 
we stop, don't push through it. We know, like Julie mentioned earlier, sometimes when we do push through it, we regret it. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a combination of planning for it to take longer, taking things in stages and listening to our bodies and sort of just being kind to ourselves, not beating ourselves up if we can't get it done as quickly as we used to. Yeah. So, um, I have a couple of really practical strategies as well as thinking about the mindset. So for me, um, one of the, one of the things I was struggling with initially was really severe pain in my chest, which made it difficult to lift things. Sorry. If you see our cat Opal's tail. It's okay. I have dogs um, and stuff run through all the time. It's normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's re- the reality of homesteading life, right? It is. That are children. Yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, So it made it difficult for me to lift things. So what I started to do was do smaller amounts of weight and more trips. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, instead of, you know, grabbing the 50 pound bag and throwing it over my shoulder like I used to, I might portion it out into smaller containers or with the wheelbarrow, instead of filling the wheelbarrow all the way full, I might do half a load and then take a couple trips rather than one big trip at a time. Um, then I had, uh, the silicone implant removed and I had this other kind of reconstruction surgery that was really grueling called a deep flap. And they ended up taking tissue from my abdomen and kind of transplanting it. Mm. So I now have this, um, really big scar that, that goes more than halfway around my waist. And there were some complications with that, that made it really difficult for me to wear my regular home sitting clothes. So where, where we live, um, it's really popular for people to wear stretch pants for women. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm so out of fashion that, that I don't even know if they probably have a name, but when you go to like target or you go to like the stores, that's all you can find unless I'm wearing jeans and they look really cute, but they are not practical homesteading clothes. Like they just get yeah. ripped right away. Yes. Um, so it took me a while, but I found that Carhartt has these stretch pants that are um, like heavy duty and have pockets. And so those became my go-to pants, like the Carhartt stretch pants. And um, and then there's this company called Handful that makes uh, sports bras. The woman who started the company is a breast cancer, survive, breast cancer survivor. And so mm-hmm. she really understood the challenges that women with my issues face. And um, if you are a breast cancer survivor, you get a really good discount from them too. So oh, those wow. also became lifesavers for me. And those are just really practical, like tactical tips. And then um, I have come to accept that I am just going to be in recovery as a perfectionist for the rest of my life. And instead of trying to fight it so much, I've started to think about, you know, having really high intentions, but a low attachment to outcome. That's so I'm probably good. still yeah. always going to plan way more project than I can realistically take on during a day, but I try to let go of achieving that. I forgot about one other aspect is that, that whole idea of working smarter, not harder. Um, when we were mixing the soil for our garden, like, you know, it's pretty 13 stock tanks. It's a lot of soil, a lot of a lot. Uh, compost, a lot of mulch to mix. And uh, initially we were going to do it by hand, but um, I had a memory from earlier in life when I was in college, I did work on a working farm. And um, when we, (laughs) when we were mixing soil, we had these cement mixers that we would put it all in 
and uh, it, it saved so much labor that uh, we decided it was worth it just to get our own you know it's a cement mixer but it's our soil mixer yeah that's so cool <laughs> and, that's, yeah that's it so worked smart. great you can dump yeah. it right into the wheelbarrow after it's mixed and it uh it saved us probably days of, of time just mixing the soil and a lot those, of wear and tear on our body <laughs> oh for sure those little investments like that you know i feel like we homesteaders love to be frugal and i liked i mean i love to be frugal and but christian and i always have that conversation like if we invest in this thing, how much, mo- how much money is it going to save us and how much time, which is money, is that going to save? Like it's a, that trade-off. And sometimes those little purchases go a really long way. Exactly. Yes. And if a purchase can have multiple uses, even better. Yes. Yes. For sure. The, I feel like what I you feel just, like that. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I feel like there's so many, so many ideas I have. I want to hear yes. yours So. Um, I just want to say, I feel like that about our chicken plucker, which does not have multiple uses, I will say, but even just for the <laughs> one use. It is, it was like, I don't know, $190 on Amazon or whatever on sale. And I'm like, best money spent. But anyway, go ahead and say what you were going to say. Yes, best money spent. And even things that are expensive for us, every time we take on a project, we have a, have a conversation about the best way to achieve it. My natural inclination is to DIY every single thing in my entire life. And Kevin has helped me realize that that's not always the best choice. And we've had a couple big projects this year where that conversation has happened, and I'm so happy we went with Kevin's way of doing it. Do you want to talk about those? Yeah, you like it's just weighing the trade off of the amount of time that it would take us to do some of these big projects uh, versus the the cost of hiring it out. And for us, like this year, we had to put on a new roof and new siding on the mm-hmm. whole house. Now we're we probably could have figured out how to do that. We probably could have bought materials and tried to do that, but it would have taken us so long just in research and in labor. <laughs> we have friends who have, who have done it themselves and like they've taken uh, months and months of every weekend and a lot of help from friends. Um, we, we just decided that it, it made more sense to, to hire it out, get it done, you know, as quickly as possible. And the amount of, the amount of time that it saved us was worth the, the extra expense. And the fact that, um, you know, even, even though we could have figured it out, somebody who does it for a living probably ultimately could do it a little bit better than we would have ended up doing it. Um, and then at the same time, there are other smaller projects like in inside the house, especially the remodeling where time is not quite as much of the essence. Like it's, if you're doing a roof, you don't want to have it exposed, like peel off the old roof and leave it exposed where you're trying to put on the new roof for months at a time. But inside we can take a few months to remodel a room without, you know, any, any real detriment or any real concern that we're, you know, having the house be damaged, like by rain, et cetera. Um, yeah. And that reminds me of, of thinking back to, um, you know, when we were waiting to get to our real homestead, again, that landlord we had who let us tear up the front yard, um, it was a, it was an older home. It was nearly 100 years old and he was elderly and it, it needed some upkeep. It needed, you know, sometimes to change out a faucet or um, the downstairs really needed a new floor. And he let us do those things in exchange for keeping our rent low. Right. And so it ended up being great for creating value in his home and great for actually learning how to do those things ourselves. So when we got to this house and started looking at, you know, replacing carpet with wood or 
changing out closet doors and things like that, we'd already had a lot of experience and slowly started to build up the tools that we needed. Yes, I love that. Building that repertoire of skills is so valuable. But it also does still pay to know when to let the professionals do their thing. There's been so many times when Chris and I have just hired it out and then we're like, man, they did it so fast and so well. And that would have taken yeah. us six months to try to do that and figure it out. So it's that balance, yes. always balancing. Yeah. So Kevin, a, a few minutes ago, you mentioned something about um, how the constant movement of homesteading has helped you with your pain or, or the health concerns, just kind of that motivation to get outside and do something. Do you guys do any exercises like working out in addition to homesteading or is that kind of your main main deal uh we both work out in the morning every day uh, in addition to homesteading um might i might alter the length of that workout depending on what activity i have to do outside that day um but i i generally like since my main challenge is my blood sugar mm -hmm. um, i do a lot of cardio work because that helps you know, burn off the excess blood glucose. So I, I, in the morning, I usually get on a exercise bike, um, from any, anywhere from half an hour to sometimes two hours, depending on the day and, you know, what kind of challenge I'm having. Um, and do you want to talk about your, your morning? Yeah. So that works really well for Kevin. Um, and for me, just, I have a slightly different personality and I like to mix it up. So I do yeah. guided workouts online. I have two uh, free resources that I really like. One of them is the YouTube channel called Yoga with Adrian. I've done that. And she, yeah. yeah. And she often works out with her dog, Benji. And then another one called Energy Up. And they they do like strength workouts and cardio workouts, and they're all really wholesome workouts you could do in your house with your kids. And they're great for us because we live so far from a town. It's not realistic for us to, to go to a gym. So we've kind of set up our own little mini gym at home and, and work through those workouts. And, you know, homesteading is very physical, but it often um, ebbs and flows depending on the season and the day, but we train for it like a sport. We're not, yeah, we're not sports people. We never really have been, but we think of it like an athletic activity. And so we're, we're always training for that goal. I love that analogy. I've, I've started to think of that too. Like I never worked out when I was younger, when we were first homesteading, but now we built a little home gym here as well. And Krish and I have been work. we work out pretty regularly. This same as you, because like some days I'm out in the garden and I'm sweating and I'm, you know, doing all the physical, but then there's a lot of times during the winter, we're just not doing much. And I needed that balance because I, you know, I'm always thinking like, well, we're not getting any younger and I want to be front loading my flexibility and my fitness and not waiting till I'm, you know, 60. And then I'm like, uh Oh, <laughs> you know, playing catch up. Not that you can't play catch up. You can, if you're listening and you're older, you can still do those healthy choices. But I think just thinking ahead and I love the idea of training for it. Like it's a sport. Yeah. It's never too late to start working out. Amen. Um, but we have definitely found it's a use it or lose it sort of thing for us, especially as we get older, it takes us a while to bounce back and um, on top of our, our health issues. Yeah. And it's almost counterintuitive. Like the, you'd think the pain would stop you from doing the exercise, but it, it's better if you keep moving, like with, with our conditions anyway, like the, I don't know, your body release, releases endorphins and you just, you end up feeling better. Uh, than if you just sit with the pain, if that makes sense. Yes. 
absolutely. Our bodies are, really, I think, really designed to move. Their their workforces. Yeah. 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 You absolutely. know, we think of yeah. we think of food as medicine, being you know thoughtful and mindful about the food, but also movement as medicine, and that is actually the tagline of um, this physical therapy app that I use. So again, because we live so far from town and the town that we live near is tiny, like physical therapy isn't hands-on always an option, but um, it's called Hinge Health. And I use an app and then I have a coach I can talk to on the phone or by text. And they're they're always talking about movement as medicine. And that's mm-hmm. that's helped me recover from my surgeries a lot. I bet. That's, that's I, yeah, that's a really awesome way to get creative when you are so isolated because I, I know the feeling <laughs> gyms are a long ways away yeah how has you mentioned food Julie how has food and growing your own food and having your gardens on the homestead and, and being mindful of that already cooking from scratch has that helped you in your journey with your health it really has so um when I, when I was diagnosed, I was in really good shape and had really, really healthy eating habits. Um, and so my doctors would tell me like, okay, you're going to have this surgery and we expect it to take, you know, three to six months for you to recover. And I would, I would listen to them and I would take that into consideration. And then falling back on our healthy habits, I think I think almost every single time I blew the curve on physical recovery, except for, you know, when I had some like a botched surgery and some unexpected challenges. And I really think a lot of that had to do with our food. Um, you know, I, I do ebb and flow in my, in my energy levels, but we also like to prioritize and our main priority every week is to make sure that we're getting really healthy home cooked dinners, no matter what. And so I make a a big priority one day a week to cook because we don't grow all of our own food yet. And even, you know, when you do, it takes an effort to harvest. I usually do harvesting and shopping one day and that's like the big push. And then the next day um, is the cooking day. I like that. Batching is always so helpful. Yeah. And then um, we've we've had people tell us that they think this sounds terrible, but what we usually do is I'll make a really big batch of soup and like sourdough rolls, and then we'll mm-hmm. eat that for multiple nights in a row. Um, the the thing now that for for Christmas Kevin got me a pressure canner, which has like changed my life. Yes. But um, you know, so we can we can do a big batch and then I can pressure can it. So we're not eating the same soup every night or, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to make a little extra and put things in the freezer. So when we run out of a big batch or we want variety or, you know, on days when we're really focused on the garden and we want an easy meal, we'll be able to, to draw from that stock that we've been building up. I like, yeah. Homemade convenience food at its finest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So what advice would you guys have for someone who's listening or watching who is dealing with their own health uh, challenges, maybe pain, maybe something else? Do you have any takeaways for them? Mainly that no matter what you're dealing with, um, it, it doesn't have to prevent you from living your dream. Like you, and it can actually, going after your dream can actually help improve your overall health. Um, especially if it is homesteading skills, like the, the benefit of 
just the physical activity, the uh, homesteading mindset, like it actually, it's, it's a really good um, complement to self-care really. Like it'll keep you from being a lot of times if you're, if you're in pain, you'll end up being sedentary because you're sort of stuck in that pain. Um, practicing homesteading skills gives you something else to focus on. It pulls you out of that inertia. The movement actually can help with whatever chronic pain you're dealing with. Um, there are ways you can modify what you do to, you know, meet your goals, even if you can't get there in a straight line sometimes. Um, and even that process can can be healing, just this sort of empowering uh, feeling where you you have a goal, you have an obstacle, which is your pain or your illness, but you find a different way to get there. Um, I, I feel like it, there's just so many benefits, both physical and emotional, um, to, to practicing this way of life. So I guess, yeah, the main thing is don't... Even, even if you can't get to where you want to go immediately or directly, don't give up. Um, keep, finding, keep finding new approaches, new ways. Uh, you might actually find that you're much more capable than you thought you were. And as you try to develop these different skills, you might find that what you thought was an insurmountable barrier, barrier actually is something that is going to build up your resilience and build up your ability to um, pursue some of these things. So uh, that that's my main takeaway, I think. Yeah, well said, very well said. What What is the saying, the ob or I don't know who said it, the obstacle becomes the way sometimes. I think that's yes, a really good that's example of that. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The other okay. thing I oh, would add is Sorry. Um, <laughs> don't, Try, try your best not to compare. I have really found that comparison can be the thief of joy. And that goes for the scrolling on social media, you know, comparing myself to, to other able-bodied homesteaders or other homesteaders who um, I, I have a personal sensitivity to not having a root cellar. I get really jealous of people with root cellars. <laughs> block, um, block the people. <laughs> um, but, but the irony is, you know, we get people who send us really snarky comments about how pretty our garden is, you know, who don't know our story and how long it took us to get to where we are. Like we just see the tip of the iceberg and, and yet it can be really easy to slip into that. I think my biggest struggle is comparing myself with my ability now to my ability before my illness. Mm. And I've just never had anything good come from the comparison. So when I find myself in that place, I try to just pause, um, acknowledge how I'm feeling um, and take a deep breath and then shift my focus to instead of what I don't have to what I do have and where I want to be going, like Kevin said. And over time, those little nudges um, have really helped you know, um, sometimes people joke that my mind is like a working dog. And if I don't give it enough stuff to do, I start to chew the furniture. Yes. Like if yes. I kept a cattle dog in my house all the time. And then the, the, tw the twist on that I found is like with this comparison thing, like how, how would I train a puppy? I wouldn't kick a puppy if it peed on the floor. Right. So I would just be like, Oh, 
darn, I just found myself comparing again. Let's go try that other thing. And then over time, it's really built resilience. Yes. Amen. And yeah, the comparison is such a, it's such a trap. I mean, I, I still struggle with it, even though people look at us and probably think our homestead is like, you know, something to be aspired to. Like there are still times I catch myself doing it. It doesn't matter how, how amazing you have it or, or how cool your, your stuff is or how much you've accomplished. I think that's always, always, always a temptation and always to be a distraction. So I love that. I love that advice. Ooh, related to that. I recently yes. found this app. So I, I still have social media apps on my phone because we are, you know, very public homesteaders. It's just kind of a necessary thing. Um, but I found this app called one sec. So Oh, one and then S E C. Okay. And, and you, you tie it to whatever other apps on your phone you want. And what happens is like when I just tap my Instagram app, instead of going right to Instagram, it goes through this kind of three second breathing, calming, Uh, um, activity. And then it says, do you really want to open this app? I love that. And then it tracks, (laughs) it tracks you and then you can time it. Like after three minutes, it'll say, Oop, do you still want to be doing this? And what I found in just using it for a couple of weeks is it's saving me four to five hours of mindless scrolling a week. And I thought I was pretty good, but it's been a really game changer. That's amazing. I, I just, I'm going to go download that one. Cause I still, I mean, the same as you, I've deleted a lot of apps, but I still have some just cause you know, that's what we do for a living is we do social media stuff. So, um, it's, it's rough. I mean, it's wired to be a major distraction. That's what it's designed for. So I think to hack it in the reverse and figure out strategies to make sure it's serving us and we're not serving it is crucial. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great tip. Well, guys, we're running up at the end of our time. Is there anything we, we missed that you wanted to mention or talk about? That's a good question. What do you think, Kevin? I don't think so. I can't think of any of the main points that we didn't cover. Yeah, I, I think we've hit all the highlights. I feel like we okay. could talk about all of this stuff in depth for days for and sure. days. But <laughs> Maybe I might have to have you back on and we can just commiserate on aminopyrrolid poisoning. <laughs> Right. Yes, I would Complain. love to. <laughs> I know. We've tried some strategies. So we haven't been talking about them very publicly because I wanted to really make sure they worked before I recommended them. But yeah, yeah, I think yeah. we're finding some solutions, and hopefully, okay. you have too. I've yeah, I've been experimenting as well. So we'll keep working on that, and we will we'll have to get back on and do some more chatting. But um, can you let everybody know where they can follow along and find you guys online? I know you had a, a free resource too that people might like. Yeah. So our website is wildhomesteadliving.com. And you can find us on all the social media channels at that handle, which is Wild Homestead Living. And we have several free resources on our website. Uh, The one that I think would be particularly helpful for people who are struggling with chronic pain and illness is our Quick Start Guide to Homesteading. It covers our sort of a fundamentals framework and gives you lots of ideas that are really actionable and easy to start doing, whether you live in the city, country, or somewhere in between. Love that. Okay, guys, go check them out. Um, they have the website. I know they have YouTube and Instagram and all, all the things. So go, go have a look um, and connect with them. Thank you guys so much for coming on. This was a fantastic conversation, and I know it's going to help a lot of folks. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. You know, it's exhausting to live with these challenges. And so I just really appreciate you giving voice and support to people living their homestead dream, regardless of what's happening with their bodies. 
Absolutely. And I think, yeah, I think having folks like you leading the way and providing that, you know, you can do this encouragement is absolutely important and is what is needed. So thank you again. Thank you.